Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Employment Law Podcast brought to you by the lawyers here at EI Legal. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time, the Employment Law Podcast is a weekly podcast aimed at HR professionals, in-house counsel and really anyone who has an interest in the wonderful world of employment law. Each week we discuss an employment law concept or sometimes we decide to update you on some recent news from the employment law space. My name is Antonia Randalls and I'm a lawyer here at EI Legal and I am joined today as ever by my wonderful colleagues Simon Obi and Ahana Lakia. Welcome both. Now, I wasn't with you guys for last week's episode, and I will confess I haven't actually listened yet, but I do hear that you uh, ran through the recent uh, changes to the JobKeeper scheme, and I'm sure, um, as Simon had already done two webinars on the topic, it would be jam-packed with information that will be really helpful for employers in particular to navigate the space that seems to be constantly changing at the moment. So if you missed last week's episode, like me, uh, please go back and give it a listen as I will be doing very shortly. So enough about last week, let's jump straight into this week's topic. So we have decided to discuss the topic of sexual harassment in the workplace. And we decided to do this because there was a recent decision that caused a bit of a stir, particularly in the legal community. Uh, it was a decision of the full court of the federal court to dismiss an appeal brought by a lawyer who sexually harassed uh, his paralegal. So we're going to talk a little bit about what sexual harassment is and specifically what it is in an employment context. Uh, employer obligations, and we'll briefly run you through the recent that, that recent decision that I just mentioned. But before we go any further, as I've just mentioned, we will be discussing sexual harassment throughout this episode and including examples of sexual harassment. It's not an easy topic, so we appreciate if this particular episode is, is not one for you. So, as I mentioned, what we should do first is maybe discuss what sexual harassment is is generally and and how um and what it means in the employment context so simon would you be able to to run us through that first part yeah sure thanks antonia um so sexual harassment is a um a type of um sex discrimination so it, it is dealt with in the sex discrimination act 19 84 which is a federal piece of legislation and the the definition of sexual harassment is contained within section uh, 28a um, and it basically means um, it's conduct of a sexual sexual nature that could reasonably be expected to offend humiliate or intimidate a person so I guess to kind of delve into that and, and break down um, those, those particular sort of components a bit further, um, the, the first component is um, that someone must engage in conduct of a sexual nature. And that um, 
conduct has been um, defined over you know various cases to be a very broad range of um, things it it obviously um, covers you know um, physical um, harassment of 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 uh, any sort of sort so you know it could be sort of touching someone or brushing up against them or or you know hugging them or or, or anything of that and obviously it, it will cover sort of more um uh disturbing physical behavior as well but it also um um covers sort of um a verbal um comments um which which could be you know sexually suggestive um comments comments about someone's private life or the way that they look um sexually suggestive um jokes um it could be sort of insults or taunts of a sexual nature or intrusive questions or statements um uh, and also it, it can cover sort of un, unwanted um requests to um to go out on um you know dates particularly if those are kind of repeated requests it can cover um you know sexually explicit um material being shown to someone um really a, a whole um range of, of conduct will will fit within that bracket and and the case that we'll talk about um later the the, the case which came out um, in the last week or so um deals with um the type of behavior that that fits within um conduct of a sexual nature as well um i, I think it's 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 probably um useful to note that to come within the the bracket of sexual harassment it, in the sex discrimination act it, it doesn't need to be uh, a criminal offense so um, you know, there's obviously sort of criminal offences relating to sexual assault or um, indecent exposure, those sorts of things. But it, it is a, a much um, lower um, threshold, as it were. So just because someone hasn't broken uh, a criminal law doesn't mean that they won't have been um, uh, guilty of, of sexual harassment under the, um, the Sex Discrimination Act. Um, the, so, so I, th I think it, it, it usually isn't too much of, of a problem in in cases to establish whether um, conduct was of, was of, of a sexual nature, because as I say, it, it covers such a broad range of, of of actions. The second component that needs to be established to um, show a breach is that conduct the conduct is unwelcome. Um, and that is is kind of obviously there to um, um, have a carve out for you know consenting um, activities between two people. You know, particularly in a workplace context, you might have people that are entering into a a, a um, consensual um, relationship, and and obviously in those circumstances, but the behaviours that they um, uh enter into between them it doesn't doesn't fall foul of the act 
Um, the, the third um, component um, is that a reasonable person would have anticipated that the conduct would offend, humiliate, or intimidate the recipient. Um, and because it's phrased in terms of what a reasonable person would have thought would have offended, um, it's not relevant um, whether the harasser intended the behavior to be um, sexual in, in nature or whether they intended the um, behavior to um, offend or humiliate. However well-intentioned it, it was, if a reasonable person would have thought that um, uh, behavior is going to intimidate or, or, or offend uh, the, um, the recipient of that behavior, that will be enough to establish um, uh, that, that criteria. And the last component um, that needs to be satisfied in respect of, of um, sexual harassment in, in, um, in employment law, I suppose, is that the conduct must occur in the workplace. And again, the courts have been um, uh, have applied that 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 phrase very broadly. So, um, you know, on on a number of uh, instances, it'll be very clear that the harassment has has occurred in the workplace if it is is um, happening. You know, in an office environment, um, for example, during work hours. But the courts have have extended that um, uh, definition of workplace to, um, you know, include um, company nights out, company activities, company um, uh, outings, but also um, they have have read it to mean um, where a harassment commences in in the workplace but then continues thereafter in a different location so say it starts in the office and then the 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 um, people that are involved go on to a private residence or to a hotel or, or to some kind of social occasion if, if it is a, if the harassment continues um, uh, from one location to another the courts have held that that um, all comes um, within the definition of of the workplace so that that's that's it uh, i guess in a nutshell the i think the point to to take um away from that is is that the um the definition is is very broad um and uh and and the courts you know will 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 often um, err on, on the side of, of a broader um, application and broader definition of, of, of those terms rather than a narrower one. Yeah, thank you, Simon. And and I guess with, with that broad definition in mind, I think employers will really want to understand uh, whether they have any particular obligations um, to try and prevent this behaviour from happening. Um, Ahana, do you, do you want to talk us through a little bit around um, potential liability of an employer and, and the things that they can do to try and prevent this behaviour? Sure. Thanks, Antonia. I think, you know, usually what happens in these sorts of cases is that you, you would think the person who's actually liable for the conduct is the harasser, which be another employee within the organization but it's really important for employers to understand 
that they will be vicariously liable for the sexual harassment of an employee. Um, and it's actually a contravention under the Sex Discrimination Act, unless, of course, the employer can establish that it took all reasonable steps to prevent the employee from doing the unlawful acts. And we'll discuss that in a bit more detail later um, about what steps the employee actually needs to take to satisfy that obligation. But it's really important to understand that employers need to be aware of what's happening in the workplace um, and ensure that those sorts of actions don't happen. Because even if an employee um, is, you know, bound to be sexually harassing another employee, the employer is going to be vicariously liable for that conduct. And one of the cases that it's, I guess, talked about a lot in this context um, was the decision of Richardson and Oracle. Um, so I thought I'd discuss that because it really sort of sets the picture of, you know, what sexual harassment is and how the employer was found to be liable in those circumstances. So I'll talk you through the facts. It was a decision around 2014. Um, and Miss Richardson's sexual harassment case was basically based on allegations that she was subjected to multiple um, humiliating comments and sexual advances from Mr. Tucker during her employment um, with Oracle in 2008. And the sexual harassment, um, the, the comments included things like he would say to her, gosh, Rebecca, you and I fight so much. I think we must have been married in our last life. And um, so Rebecca, how do you think our marriage was? I bet the sex was hot. So those sorts of things are verbal comments, but obviously they were inappropriate. And because they were repeated, they were found to be um, within the meaning of sexual harassment in the act. And he also did other things like he would call her and send her text messages. There was one occasion where he sent her 15 um, text messages in one evening, asking her to join him on a night out. Um, he would he would always sort of make comments, like I mentioned before, and he'd say things like, we should go away on a dirty weekend together um, and talk about her appearance and things like that. And what happened is she actually informed her manager who forwarded the complaint to the HR department with an oracle, and they subsequently carried out an internal investigation. And while the investigation was going on, contact between Miss Richardson and Mr. Tucker, who was sexually harassing her, it continued. So it kept going even while there was an investigation. Um, it, the investigation, it, it did find that he had um, sexually harassed her, which led to him having to provide her with an apology via email. Um, and they also tried to sort of, um, Oracle then attempted to reposition Miss Richardson within the organisation. But by that time, obviously, she, you know, she was quite frustrated by the outcome um, and she resigned in March 2009. Um, and she, you know, after working out her four-week period and she took up employment with another company. And she subsequently made a claim for general damages and economic loss against both Mr. Tucker personally, but also the company. Um, and the decision at first instance, it was found that Oracle failed to show that it took reasonable steps to prevent that conduct from occurring in the workplace, which is the requirement under the Act. And therefore, um, the company was found to be vicariously liable for Mr. Tucker's conduct. Um, and the reason the court found that the employer was vicariously liable was even though they had an internal policy and they undertook an investigation, 
the policy itself was not detailed enough. Um, it was called the workplace diversity policy, but it didn't actually go much into what sexual harassment is or explain that it was against the law. Um, and what would really happen if that sort of conduct um, occurred in the workplace. So at first instance, the judge ordered $18,000 as general damages. So it's basically damages for sort of hurt, stress, humiliation. Um, and he didn't order anything um, for non-economic loss because um, the judge said that there was no link between Mr Tucker's conduct and uh, Miss Richardson's subsequent resignation. She actually appealed the decision to the full court of the federal court um, and that decision was um, upheld and basically what the judge said, uh, the full court said that the original damages were manifestly inadequate um, and they did not reflect the community expectations in relation to the higher value to compensation for pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment of life. So as a result of that finding, damages were actually increased from 18,000 to 100,000. So it's quite significant. Um, and the full court also found that there was a connection between Miss Richardson's resignation and the unlawful sexual harassment, because if it wasn't for that conduct, she wouldn't have resigned. Um, and they found that his conduct was a material cause of her decision to resign. And on that basis, the full court also ordered a further $30,000 for economic loss. So I guess um, what this case highlights is that employers can face significant, I guess, um, penalties for failing to um, monitor what's happening in the workplace and failing to take sufficient steps. So there are quite a lot of lessons learned from employers. And Simon, you mentioned you, you'd like to sort of um, touch on what employers can um, include in policies. But just in summary, I think, what what this shows is that employers need to ensure that their policies um, and training procedures are up to date and they're compliant. Um, and they also undertake training within the workplace to ensure that employees are aware um, of what they can and can't do and what the consequences of their actions might be. Yeah, I, I think it's a really um, useful um, case for employers to consider um, my um, my sort of recollection of, of reading um, the Richardson and Oracle case was was it was you know it was very clear that um, Mr Tucker had behaved um, you know really terribly and, and there wasn't really any um, doubt about that but but looking at what um, Oracle um, how Oracle had 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 handled the situation and, and how they had um, uh, how they had sort of set up their business to deal with these issues generally. It, you know, on on kind of first reading, it, it looked like they had actually behaved pretty well. So they, as you say, they had they had a policy in place which which um, said sexual harassment was um, prohibited. Um, my, my memory is that not only did they have this policy, they did do training with, with employees each year to, um, uh, to refresh them on that. And they had, um, you know, um, a, uh, a system in place where if an employee did have uh, a complaint that there was a, a, a way for them to raise it and for it to be investigated. But they they fell down um, 
you know, largely on on the sort of what was quite a technical reason of 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 the policy not um, not saying in clear terms that sexual harassment was against the law and that both the employer and the employee could be liable for um, for you know committing um, sexual harassment. So. Uh, it was interesting because when it came out the a lot of people were saying well you know mr tucker was a terrible person even if their policy had been more detailed and said that sexual harassment was against the law you know that wouldn't have changed his behavior but um that's that's not the test you know the test is that the employer must have um taken all reasonable steps that they can to prevent the harassment occurring. And, um, you know, even sort of leaving out something which you, you would think was, you know, maybe like relatively minor, a statement that sexual harassment is against the law, when they've said, you know, it's not permitted in the workplace. That was enough for them to, to fall foul of the um, requirements. So I, th I think it, it, does, it does illustrate the importance of, of having a really um, well-drafted policy in, in that area, um, but but of course that's you know as you say, Hana, that's that's only the first step really. It, it, that policy needs to be properly implemented. Ideally, employees need to be educated and trained on on that um, regularly, and there needs to be mechanisms for. Um, uh, employees to to bring um complaints because i suppose in 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 lots of situations it it won't be obvious to the employer that sexual harassment is is occurring people can be very devious about how they um you know um behave in in that way and very um secretive so it it, it isn't so much about the employer being able to um uh you know monitor everyone's behavior so that they'll be able to notice as soon as this is going on it's more about the systems in place and um, to make sure that that they have a way for employees to bring complaints and and that they have done everything that they can to educate their workforce that this this isn't permitted and it's against the law so um I think it is it is a really um, useful useful illustration of of what employers need to do to make sure that they um, uh, make sure that they don't um, fall foul of the legislation. But but you know obviously the most important thing is is that they take steps to to try and prevent this sort of um, behaviour occurring in in any event. That's obviously the most important point. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's really interesting how um, the court in that decision made made clear that that given um, you know the gravity, how how um, how uh, deplorable sexual harassment is, that it is a it is an offence where employees should be awarded significant um, damages. And and we've seen in in the recent case that we'll talk about later that the, the court. Have, have consistently um, 
followed that approach of, of saying that where sexual harassment is found, it, it is a case where, where damages will, will be um, significant. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably um, all, all we've got to say about uh, Richardson and Oracle. So. Yeah, thanks, Simon. It's um, it's it really does show um, I guess this how serious this particular behaviour is and how serious the court uh, will take it. Um, and it's so important for employers to make sure that they've got the right policies in place and that the wording um, is specific enough. Um, and and also to make sure that they're those policies are implemented to the fullest extent as possible and to make sure that they're taking action if there is complaints raised and that there are processes in place um, that, that are followed if these matters do arise. But as I mentioned at the start, there was a particular case that sort of, um, I guess, prompted us to go through this particular topic today. Ahana, because you did such a good job at going through the facts of, of the Oracle case, are you going to take us through through the facts of um, this most recent decision? Yeah, thanks, Antonia. I think um, before I do that, I, I guess the reason the case of Richardson and Oracle was so significant is that it was the highest award um, for damages for sexual harassment. Um, and now with a new decision, um, that's actually the court actually awarded even higher damages in that. So the federal circuit court awarded damages of $170,000 in total, um, which included $50,000 in aggravated damages. So this is now the highest award for aggravated damages for sexual harassment in the workplace under the Sex Discrimination Act, which is why it's sort of come up quite a lot. And also because the conduct actually occurred um, within the legal profession. So I'll, I'll take you through the facts. But in that case, um, the harassment was inflicted by Owen Hughes, who was the principal of a small law firm located in the south of Byron Bay. Um, and the complainant um, was Mrs. Hill, uh, Miss Hill, sorry, she was a paralegal within that firm. And she was a single mother who had recently sort of completed her legal training. And she was tied to staying in that region because her ex-partner lived there um, and they obviously had custody of their child so she had to sort of live in that area. Um, basically what happened in that case was um, the court found that Mr Hughes had engaged in repeated unwanted conduct of a sex sexual nature towards Miss Hill and some of that conduct include um, coerced hugs, um, he'd enter and remain in her room while she wore a towel, um, this was during a work-related trip he would also lie um, on a bed in her room wearing only a singlet and boxer shorts. Um, he would send her incessant emails which would contain romantic propositions, including, um, you know, many poor attempts at the French language. Um, basically, there was a lot of conduct of that nature. Um, he also, um, what happened, he, he made sort of threats in his capacity um, as her employer. Um, and initially those threats were that he would terminate her employment um, because she wouldn't sort of, um, you know, agree to going on dates with them or things like that. And over time, the threats of dismissal became linked to sort of any complaint that she um, 
chose to make against him. So quite clearly she was in a very vulnerable um, and difficult position and she ultimately um, filed proceedings and the court was uh, did find that um, Mr Hughes engaged in sexual harassment. They also, something else that the court um, was appalled by was his use of his position um, because not only was he her employer and she was only a paralegal within the firm, Mr Hughes had actually also acted as Ms Hill's legal representative um, in an unrelated family law matter. And in that capacity, so he was helping her um, with some family law matter and he was in that capacity gained access to privileged material. Um, and he actually used that information that he gained from acting as her legal representative, which normally is quite confidential. And he used that in the sexual harassment proceedings in an attempt to sort of defame her character um, and blacken her name. So the court was very scathing of him doing that. Um, and in those circumstances, and especially considering, you know, her unique sort of vulnerabilities, they found that um, he'd engaged in sexual harassment and they ordered damages of $120,000 and aggravated damages of $50,000. So it's quite significant. Um, and what happened after that is that the case got appealed, um, but I'll let sort of um, Simon talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Simon, I um I mean, I think you might have a bit of a bit more of a handle on English literature than Ahana and I. So we might let you go through um the appeal, I guess, and people will understand the reference once you start explaining it. Yeah, yeah. Um thanks. So yeah, I think I think like the, the case has got lots of attention in the at least in the legal press, um, for a for a couple of reasons. The first, as as Ahana mentioned, is is because the um the damages awarded um sets a new um new um high water threshold as it were. It's it's you know the most that's been awarded. Um the uh the, the other reasons as as I think Ahana said as well is because it, it is it concerned uh, a law firm and, and people working within a law firm. But the third reason is in um, Mr. Hughes's appeal of, of the original uh, decision, um, his, um, his counsel, his legal representative made um, some assertions that uh, the conduct that he had engaged in wasn't conduct of, of a sexual nature and was more akin to um, that of uh, Mr. Darcy, um, Mr. Darcy um, being a character from the Jane Austen novel um, Pride and Prejudice and, and what was the point that was trying to be made was um, his, his conduct, his, his um, uh, you know, um, statements about his his feelings for Miss Hill were, you know, a, a platonic expression of love, and there was no um, sexual um, element to it at all. Uh, and and the court just uh, sort of threw out that argument um, completely on, on a number of the grounds. Firstly, that um, it is clear that um, you know. 
expressions of of those feelings asking people out on 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 dates when it's clear that 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 behavior is uh is 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 um you know uh, unrequited that that can be sexual harassment it's it's clear that 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 is conduct of a sexual nature looking at the case law that has gone before but aside from that even if you discount that sort of stuff you know there were these terrible episodes where he you know um came into her room um semi um clothed and, and demanded that she gave him a hug before he left um so uh it was very clear that he had engaged in um in sexual harassment but this use of of um, a literary figure to try and you know turn what what was you know really reprehensible behavior into um something which is kind of being um uh suggested as sort of uh um misplaced romantic feelings you know that the that 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 has been um uh you know picked up in in the commentary on this case and 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 the fact that the court you know didn't really um think that there was any validity in those arguments at all so um that that's that's that was one aspect which made this case very newsworthy the the other thing is um you know as ohana explained that the damages in, in this case were, were very significant and i think it's um probably worth recapping um the $120,000 which are awarded in general damages, general damages are for um, compensation for pain and suffering. So it was $120,000 to compensate Miss Hill for the, um, you know, the effect that this had had on her um, well-being, which was obviously significant. Um, she wasn't ordered anything, I don't think, for economic loss because she she had actually got an, another job, and so she hadn't lost um, lost anything um, financially in that in that sense. But but even so, um, they, the the award of damages was 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 very significant, and the av- aggravated damages, the extra fifty thousand dollars, is is um, aggravated damages are damages which are awarded where someone. Um, has caused additional distress as a result of the manner in which they behave. Um, so, you know, in this case, it wasn't just that he sexually harassed her, as Ahana said, he also took these extra steps of, of threatening to um, dismiss her if she continued with a complaint and used uh, these uh, confidential information against her in, in the um, court proceedings, which which the court found was completely um, unacceptable and that that was what justified the additional um fifty thousand um, dollars and compensation so um yeah it was a significant amount of of um compensation awarded i suppose one thing to note about this case is is mr hughes was the um you know the principal of this law firm so there wasn't um an issue here about vicarious liability as such because he was both the perpetrator and and the employer um, so it wasn't a case where um, the um, court then had to consider whether the employer had done all that it reasonably could to prevent the harassment occurring because he was uh, the, the perpetrator and the employer were um, 
were one and the same. And the, the last point I'd, I'd just make, um, just to clarify um, something, is, is the definition of sexual harassment under the um, Sex Discrimination Act doesn't require repeated behaviour. Some, some forms of discrimination or, or bullying in particular, the definition sometimes says it needs to be repeated behaviour. But uh, sex, sexual harassment can be limited to just one occurrence. Obviously, most of the cases concern um, um, repeated behaviour because those are the, you know, it is that sort of repeated behaviour which often, you know, en ends up in, in a claim. But to be clear, an employee can breach the um, Sex Dis Discrimination Act and commit sexual harassment just by virtue of, of one, one um, isolated incident. Thanks, Simon. I think. Um yeah, I just thought I'd, something I found quite interesting as well um, in that matter was Mr. Hughes also took, he raised that sort of defence of the Mr. Darcy um, thing, but he also took issue with the trial judge, Judge Vasta, calling his behaviour despicable. That was like a really big issue for him. And the full court actually the full court said the conduct of the principal was despicable um, and it was also in every sense improper. And I think the language um, on my reading of the case, it's been quite strong. So I thought I'd just read out some of the things like in, in relation to the Mr. Darcy defence, um, the full court said that the appeal was devoid of, of merit and the submissions were insulting. Um, and in every um, event, they should be emphatically dismissed. So I think, um, yeah, I think it was quite a sort of, um, you know, very poor conduct on um, that principal's behalf. So it's, um, you know, I, I guess it makes sense that the damages were quite high and, you know, they set the new benchmark, I guess, for what will be awarded in sexual harassment decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, it's a relatively sort of, I think also it, had a lot of attention because I think it is, was a relatively sort of satisfying um, outcome to all of this as well. And the language was quite strong and it's quite clear that this behaviour is, is simply unacceptable and will be taken very, very seriously. Um, so although it wasn't an overly pleasant uh, topic that we dealt with today, it's definitely an important one. And it's, it's something that employers really do need to keep in mind and, absolutely uh, contact us if you think that there is anything that you uh, need to address with respect to your policies or, or processes or procedures within this particular um, in with this particular topic or if you've had something happen in your workplace uh, we can also assist you with uh, making sure that that's dealt with appropriately as well so Unless, Simon or Ahana, you have anything more to add, I think that's just about all we have time for today. Um, but before we go, we should mention that all of the information in today's podcast is general in nature and is not intended to be legal advice. However, again, if you do require legal advice, which does take into consideration your individual circumstances, please contact us. Uh, we would be we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at eilegal.com.au. You can also contact us if you'd just like to say hi, if you'd like to give us some feedback um, or even suggest a topic 
for our pod- podcast. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. And one last thing before we go, I would like to give a big shout out to Mitch from the EI marketing team who helps us each and every week make this podcast available to you all. He takes our, uh, our little recordings and makes sure that everybody has access to it. So thank you so much, Mitch. We really appreciate your efforts. And thank you, Simon and Ahana, for sharing your knowledge today. We will see you all next week for another episode of the Employment Law Podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.